of my little pets. I got monkeys and shit. My monkeys died. All games at the end of eternity. Harvey Keitel, mistaken for a popular brand of cookie and a crime-solving maggot. All on this 31st Midnight video with your hosts, me, Phil Walsh. And me, Jim Hall. Tonight, bewildering animation as astronauts scale a city of jaded immortals for 1982's Chronopolis. Detroit factory buddies are driven to extreme lengths when they try to escape the daily grind in 1978's Blue Collar. And when our listeners speak, we listen. So prepare yourselves for a Swiss girl's school, Bill Wyman and a chimpanzee in the Dario Argento pole topper phenomena. Sunshiny outside, nice <laughs> it's, breeze. It's not midnight. <laughs> and a blue sky. <laughs> For a change. Yeah, you've just sold your bike. Mm. This is sad news. I'm, yeah, but I was going to get rid of it anyway because I'm moving to France and I need a bike with gears and brakes and all those to gadgets. Bec- to become a shepherd. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know, that's that's just on the cards at the moment. We'll, yeah. we'll oh, see. Yeah. We'll see. You had a tarot um, reading. and Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, got, I got death. It's inevitable. The sheep. <laughs> The ram's head. We got, I'm just going to say a quick word about Mobius. Oh, Jean Giraud. I'm glad you pronounced it. Uh, I thought eBay. I was going to pay <laughs> on eBay. No, uh, R.I.P. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, French comic artist who people know from... Not like a funny comedian, you mean? No, that would be Marcel Marceau <laughs> in the not terribly good Shanks. Have you got around to watching it? I haven't watched it. No, I was it. Um, no but I mean, if you're not, even if you're not into comics, I think people know him for his design work on mm. Tron. Alien. Well, Alien's the big one. I was going to say. Oh right. Uh, even you were building up to that. I was building up to that. You <laughs> ruined my flow. Now. I thought you were going to finish with Fifth Element because I like his stuff on that. Really? I mean, that's probably the most Mobius-looking of his yeah, stuff. Uh, but it does mean yeah. sitting through Bruce Willis's <laughs> bleached hair and <laughs> oh, I really whatnot. I, I love the Fifth Element. But um, no, I mean, everyone knows Alien for Geiger's design, obviously. But it's great that. I think a lot of what Mobius designed for it, which are kind of the spacesuits, and mm. uh, I think he did the space jockey as well, didn't he? Yes. So these are all the elements that will be in Prometheus. Hopefully. So yeah. Yeah, because um, that, um, I was looking at some of the old Dune designs recently because I got um, a few weeks ago I got Chris Foss's um, yeah. what's it called Hardware, you know, well, the book. He's your man stuff. now, on you? Yeah, he on, your Fury on my new mixes. Yeah, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it spurred me on to look for the Giro designs, which is they're just incredible. As they're well, great, yeah. yeah. And hopefully we'll be seeing more of those in the Jodorowsky documentary. Yeah, which is it's imminent, isn't it? Um, I think I'd hope it's all in the can. So mm. yeah, it's just a matter of distribution and whatnot. Exciting. Oh, so it kind of by coincidence, the first film we're going to cover tonight is a little bit Mobius flavored. You ready for a trip to the end of the world? I am. <laughs> Working between 1977 and 1982, Polish animator Pieter Kamla secured French funding to make his first and only full-length film. Chronopolis takes viewers on a hypnotic tour of a floating city, home to powerful immortals who while away the days creating abstract shapes with lives of their own. But the city has visitors. Chronopolis, 
one of yours, Jim. Yeah. 1982. A good year, a good vintage. Yeah, I could <laughs> say Tron, but also Blade Runner. I mean, it's now seen as a bit of a genre-tastic year, isn't it? Yeah. E.T., Wrath of Khan. But I, I, I've never seen this top topping any of those <laughs> lists. <laughs> well, no, I... That's not a bad... Uh, that's not an accusation, no, I, by the way. <laughs> I've not heard of it, but I was in Croydon Library one afternoon, and they've got a book with quite an anonymous title. It's like Encyclopedia of Science Fiction Film. It's not exactly that, because I've tried looking it up on eBay and can't find it. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, that, they, the whole thing chronologically, and I was going through 1982 because there was a sort of plan to do a bunch of films from that year um, for us to cover those films. And I just saw that and it sounded really interesting. So yeah, looked it up and there's some great clips from it on YouTube and I'll post one up certainly after this show goes out where I think someone's really done a great job of editing down the entirety of the film to about six minutes and put in a track by um, Amon Tobin over it. Oh, right. El Wraith. And yeah. It, yeah, it's really brilliant. I mean... And yeah, uh, I really loved this. I thought it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, it was extraordinary. I mean, it really put me in mind of being very young and watching um, these kinds of animation that you get on, I don't know, it Channel 4 or BBC 2. Yeah, they had, they had a, a, a fantastically titled season called Formations that they, <laughs> they had once a year. But yeah, Channel 4 did really great seasons on that. It was amazing to think back to it. Yeah, it just put me in mind of that completely, these... Um, amazingly surreal and abstract short films I mean it's 52 minutes so it's not short short Mm. but um, and it doesn't outstay its welcome I don't find it it held my attention really well but um, yeah obviously the the thing that it really reminded me of was stuff by like Svank Mayer and Mm -hmm. the Quay brothers yeah more the Quay twins I thought Um, Mm. yeah things like um, I forgot what it's called now uh, Street of Crocodiles Oh right, yeah. yeah I d- Nate, I'm not too good with the names All of this right. stuff because I, I just generally sort of watch them when they're on and uh, and forget because they've been on uh, Sky Arts recently right. a lot, so I've been like rewatching random ones. Like. Yeah, the, the style is it's claymation. There's a certain amount of CGI in it as well, apparently, which is quite hard to spot. I think. Right, uh, I'm guessing it's the black dots. Yeah, because oh, man, it's quite hard to describe this film, isn't it? <laughs> Even though there are humanoid characters in it, there mm. are the immortals that are overlooking this city. Yeah, um, but they—I I got the impression. Actually, that's the thing I should ask you because I don't. I'm very rusty on French. I was never good uh, at it in the first yeah. place. The opening of that. Am I right in thinking it's just saying this city's in the sky and there? Yeah, it's 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 kind of yeah. I had to get a lot of it translated by my wife, and um, yeah, it's just saying that this city does exist you can't prove that it hasn't ever not existed and the immortals sort of they're, they're a bit like the Greek gods you mm-hmm. know they're, they're, they're playing and toying and they're getting bored with their own immortality and they're, they're waiting for a kind of prophecy to be fulfilled by right. a human visitor ah. but there's no, it doesn't actually specifically say what this prophecy is going to be but you um, don't need any of that to actually enjoy it not, it's, yeah, not at all it's very low on real narrative well it's going to be hard for us to describe that but I think you got to the key of it there they're bored by their own immortality and so you've got these characters who yeah Greek gods or Egyptians or whatever they've got yeah. very ornate headdresses and robes it's a bit fifth elementish a little bit yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah they, they um they seem to be able to just create things out of nothing don't they? they have these kind of strange ones. magnetic looking ones that just um, make these geometric shapes bubble up out of nowhere that's really fantastic yeah. animation I'm I'm not sure if that had some CGI component to it because it was so. Possibly, I can't yeah. imagine someone just sculpting the bits. Of it <laughs> it kind of, there's a weird point when they seem to be making some creature that you can only sort of identify it. The 
the, the matter seems to be pouring out of this wand. Yes, and it's kind of like a, like a head and a tail, and then he kind of abandons it. Yeah, but I most it looks a bit like uh, Dougal from the Magic Roundabout. You know, little, one of those yeah. sort of Tibetan dogs or whatever. Yes. It's really odd. Um, but for the most part, yeah, they're creating these strange shapes which do buzz around like flies. <laughs> Probably will be referred back to in another film a little later <laughs> on. Definitely, um, and yeah, that. I'm no, I'm probably not doing a good job of making this sound interesting, but I found it absolutely captivating. You know, I, I'd watched it once about a month back and watched it again the other night and was expecting to think, oh, much as I enjoyed that, there wasn't much plot, I can probably just watch this on fast forward and kind of remind myself of it. Yeah. As soon as it started, I mean, there's this weird kaleidoscope effect to it. It's really visually so interesting. Mm, yeah. And yeah, there's just something really fascinating about watching these shapes flit around, oh, sorry, uh, <laughs> just spat on Phil, <laughs> these shapes flitting around and kind of whacking into each other because yeah, they create their own kind of story there was a real feeling with these dots buzzing around and there's a kind of disc shape as well, it kind of suggested sperm yeah. right after an egg yeah, I'm sure there's like, I'm sure it's crammed full of symbolism that, uh, you know like, was it the Russian constructivists always had that idea of like um, abstract and geometric shapes and patterns being very um, socialist art because anyone could interpret it. But mm-hmm. the thing is, you can't. Not anyone can interpret it. So no. it, or there's going to be something like a Rorschach blot. You yeah, know, you're going to see something. You're going to impose your own kind of mm. thing because they do have real human qualities to them. The movement of them. There's also a weird thing that's like it looks like a drill with kind of this probing tentacle that comes out <laughs> oh at the oh end. God, just yes. it's kind of very sexual. Right, it's kind of feeling this sphere. Um, God knows what listeners are thinking as we're talking about this, because I don't know. Like I say, I'll put the clip up because I think you've, you've really got to see this. I to, need to uh, see that as well. No, yeah. it, it's such a great piece of editing on it. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I say, I watched it twice. First time, just really enjoyed it, and this time there was a weird kind of melancholy to it. I thought it was. Yeah. It may seem like an obvious thing, but the immortals, because they're claymation, their faces aren't animated, and they have just this time around watching it and watching them these things you, you, there was a look on their faces that just unmoving it reminded me of if you see people in an old people's home mm. and it's not so much that they're just so old they can't be bothered it's no, just no. a real boredom and I think as we've described it something like that they're just screwing around really and they look completely bored even while they're doing these things yeah because that in my mind I, I certainly thought that the idea of um something along the lines of because you have at the same time all this is going on you have these groups of men or astronauts mm-hmm. climbing up towards this city at this huge rope and uh, one of them falls off and suddenly begins to fly around yeah. like, quite magically and then he begins to interact with that disc or that ball shape yeah. we talked about before and obviously I thought this was kind of part of the prophecy and in my mind I was thinking the immortals are trying to kill themselves almost it's some kind of suicide Mm -hmm. by having this immortal come in and there's a weird kind of scene where it's not overtly sexual but there's something about this disc and the The way he interacts because the guy yeah he's split up from the rest of his group we've got to say as well the immortals that were say Greek Egyptian gods whatever the astronauts in it look kind of like French Pierrot clowns, don't yes, they? They're very comical, yeah. very uh, slender, and they have this very. The, the main guy has this really comical way of moving that looks like he's dancing, and yeah. prancing around like a puppet. Or, well, he is a puppet, but you know what I'm yeah. saying. You know, yeah. it looks like he's on strings. 
Um, and there's a point where he just seems to have given up because he's completely doesn't know where he is, and then this ball seems to give him. Um, he's he certainly enjoys physically interacting with it. It's a hard <laughs> he's thing kind to of describe. stroking and patting it. Like, well, it's a mixture of and the, then kissing it. There's a mixture of like you might be with a dog or something playing around, it. and then obviously <laughs> something <laughs> much more one. enjoyable. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Sleep of the Woody Allen? I haven't, no. No, there's a nice bit in that friend for various reasons he's disguised as a robot, but he's handing around this futuristic device at a party, which is um, it's just called the ball, I think, or the orb, but everyone who touches it just seems quite blissed out. <laughs> he's meant to be a robot, but he is increasingly reluctant to let go of it because <laughs> he's enjoying it so much. <laughs> it's like swatting away. But I really thought of that watching this. So the, as po-faced as it may seem, as there's a real streak of humour in this. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard not to think of... Um, Rover in the prisoner as well, when these this astronauts dancing around with this. Yeah, I even thought ball. of uh, Dark Star with the alien. Yeah, in Dark yeah. Star. <laughs> yes. Is that yeah? That's kind of like it's a comical element, but the, it really adds to it. It doesn't take you out of it at all. Mm. And also, it's, this is all offset by this incredible soundtrack as well. I thought. Yeah, I mean, um, do you know the piece I spoke of the Amon Tobin uh, thing? I know right? some Amon Tobin because it sounds stuff, not I'm dissimilar not sure. to that. It's that okay. kind of very stringy. I forgot. I didn't write down the name of the guy who did the music Luke for Ferrari. this, right? But yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic soundtrack. It's electroacoustic stuff. Yeah, so it's, like, it's pretty experimental. Um, it's probably not the kind of stuff most people would sit down and listen to, mm. but it, it's just made. It's designed for this. It works so. perfectly with the film. And I was just going to say, it's um, it's such a great example of science fiction, which it can be all sorts of things, science fiction, but when it's showing you a different world and a whole different way of seeing things, an animation showing you things you just wouldn't get in the physical world, and very much like a vision from somebody's head rather than what they've had to do with the materials they had available to them. Because, mm. yeah, I mean, the animation here is brilliant, but it's hard to think it took five years to make and I mean reading about um, reading around about it um, apparently the idea Kamala originally secured the funds with was nothing to do with this oh right <laughs> and he said he just he was not making it up as he went along but it was uh, the process of making it the kind of thing was revealing itself to him yeah you know, yeah he had to stay true to the thing that was presenting itself so no I really really love this I'd say this might well be one of the best films I see this year wow yeah yeah, no. Like I say, it, and let's say it doesn't outstay its welcome. Fifty minutes, it is quite an intense. There is a longer cut of it. There this is, is the I think it's originally, cut, isn't it? Yeah, this yeah. is the one he prefers. Uh, mm. But I think the original is about fifteen minutes longer. Oh right, okay. And I think they list the um, the deleted scenes on uh, the Wikipedia entry. Mm. But yeah, I, I yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll be interested to see those, but. Mm. 50 minutes sounds enough. I don't really need Michael Lonsdale. Did you read that? It was usually him. Yes, um, from yeah. Drax from Moonraker was doing right, yeah. some kind of narration at the beginning of it. In French. Yeah. So later on this show we'll be reviewing Dario Argento movie Phenomena as voted for by you listeners but on the last show we asked you to get in touch with us and let us know which Brian De Palma film you wanted us to review BDP BDP Psycho Biddy <laughs> now with Phenomena that was 
there was a very heated debate about that. Did a clear winner emerge? It certainly did. Yes. <laughs> um, surprisingly, I thought because like De Palma's got he's got a pretty hefty uh, filmography. You're going through it all at the minute. I am. Yeah. I'm How far are you? Eighteen films into it, so not too bad. But I can't. Have you started I've, wearing a safari jacket just not to feel yet. the? <laughs> but I found myself. I've come to this point where I look at them and they're all his like critically lambasted stuff. Have all been lumped together now, so. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll carry so on. So, got there, Raising Cane? I've seen Raising Cane. Snake Eyes? Yeah, I've I've watched that recently and reappraised that. I was actually blown away with it this time, from a technical point of view. And it's Cage, so... Well, I was going to say, I thought Cage would be through for And reach Sakamoto soundtrack. Oh, so. oh I remember going to see that, I don't remember <laughs> thinking that, but... Um, is Mission to Mars the one that everyone thinks is yeah. a stinker? It's it was my worst that I'd seen up until I saw Wise Guys the other day. <laughs> Wise Guys is definitely the worst. Bonfire of the Vanities. I've not watched that yet. Right, so that's um, I've got that and um, what was the other the, the Black Dahlia, which has right. been like panned as well. Oh, okay. So yeah, I've got more to look forward to, but to the point yes how did the voting go the voting went on Facebook we had uh, Callie <laughs> keeping it live. Callie Atom um, recommended Dress to Kill good review that on Mondo Movie a few exactly. weeks back exactly um, which I pointed it yeah. towards stop wasting our <laughs> time save us a job uh, Stuart Boyer said Raising Cain Eric Nystrom Body Double David Hall Body Double and he wrote Femme, Femme Fatale as well uh, Ryan Hansen Body Double Lyndon, uh, Carlito's Way, and SBL Scotland. Hi, Mom. And then on Twitter, we had D Campion for The Black Dahlia, Mark Carroll for Obsession, Matt Barnett, Phantom of the Paradise, Dude Foz, Body Double, Darth Elvis, Body Double, Glen T. Chapman, Snake Eyes or The Untouchables, Paul Croson, Carlito's Way. Scottish review of books. This is how general creepy. elections should be done, isn't it? <laughs> Just everyone, whoever they voted for, should be read out. Yeah, <laughs> they were really greedy. Greetings, blow out, hi, oh, mom, and sisters. Terrible. Uh, Chris Husway, uh, Scarface, and then our, our votes don't count, unfortunately. Don't like, yeah, well, you'd have liked to have done Phantom of the Paradise. I would have done yeah. personally. Yeah. Yeah. I love. That. I've got the French Blu-ray of that as well. So, how did it go? What has emerged wow. as the clear winner? Body double. Body double. Don't sound so dispirited. <laughs> you, um, we, we had a little chat on Friday, probably because it looked like that was going to win. And I've, uh, I've not seen it, but I, I looked Ooh. at a few clips. It, I'm looking forward to watching this. Yeah, no. It looks, um, it looks quite something. Yeah, I only saw it like a few weeks ago for the first time. I'm happy to cover it again. Like more than happy. Um, but I know Don't I'm disappoint all the listeners. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, it's. I'll be interested to see what you make of it. <laughs> so will I. <laughs> okay, so next show, Body Double. Thanks very much, everyone, for uh, getting in touch via those outlets that we all love and hold and dear to our hearts. Oh, yeah, Facebook's about to change again, isn't it? Yeah. Whenever I go onto a midnight video page, it's, oh, this is what it's going to look like. It looks really complicated. Yeah, I've. You can't get much better than a straight line, can you? <laughs> Three that go off on different directions. It doesn't make much sense. Zuckerberg. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, from Zuckerberg to a next director. What's his name? Cronenberg. 
Oh yeah, sorry. I was See thinking what I we were going to go to do. Yeah, I th- I was, uh, the Bergs. The Bergs. <laughs> That's yeah. Hitchcock's lesser singing. Um. Uh, um, yes. Next show, we'd like to your, get to your votes on David Cronenberg because we've yet to re- to review anything by him. Yeah, I've not asked you about this, but mm. shall we actually veto the fly? Yeah. I think that's just so working. well. Yeah, yeah, because that's so well covered. Yeah. Those so no so Videodrome and no Fly. I think both of those are fantastic. Just save you having to listen to it. Videodrome's yeah. like one of my favourites. But um, um, actually not Dangerous Method because we'd have to actually find a <laughs> cinema that's showing it now because it's, you know, it's, it's not on DVD yet and we'd have to find and watch it actually. <laughs> it's I mean, not meant to be very good. I'm it? sure no one's going to uh, vote for that. Yeah. So yeah, anything else though? Yeah. Um, bear in mind his lesser known ones. Mm-hmm. Madam Butterfly. Ember and Butterfly, yeah. And, uh, Fast Company. Fast Company, that yeah. was the one, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll put something up on Facebook and uh, prod on Twitter. But yeah, get your votes in on that. My lock has been busted for six months now, man, and the company ain't did shit to fix it. Now I have to stick my finger in some tiny asshole. I cut my finger, man. Two weeks ago, and it ain't healed yet. Now I have to use ballpoint pens. I'm sticking them in there, and they keep breaking off. I done blew $20 in ballpoint pens. Hey, be reasonable, see, huh? Reasonable? Man, fix my bit. When their lives look doomed to debt, constant management, hassles and lousy union representation, car production line workers Richard Pryor, Yafet Koto and Harvey Keitel are desperate enough to break the law to get out of their rut, but with unexpected consequences in Paul Schrader's 1978 directorial debut, Blue Collar. Um, I think it was on the Christmas show, we went through like the best films we'd seen for the first time um, in the last year. Mishima was mine. I just yeah. really, really loved that, Paul Schrader. And I was so impressed by that, I did look around at his other stuff from his back catalogue. I've got to say, there's nothing else quite as striking as that. That's a really kind of seemingly a unique thing that he did. Yeah, it is stand. I mean, it's my favourite. I was actually chatting to someone on Twitter before, I was with Dave about that, and I was saying, like, Mishima is like leagues ahead for me mm-hmm. from any of the film he's done but I really love American Gigolo yeah I mean that's I really, really like stylish that. isn't it it is yeah but yeah while I was going through some of those other films of us, American Gigolo Cat People Blue Collar I always knew I'd always heard about it but I I kind of avoided watching it because it just seemed I had a gut feeling it was just going to be a real earnest drab uh, social commentary kind of thing but you know I watched it um, again it was probably the same time as Chronopolis and was absolutely knocked out by it. <laughs> I really couldn't believe how good it was mm. and how accomplished it was. Um, so, yeah, I think actually it was the day before we had our last Midnight Tipple. Right. Um, I remember very enthusiastically saying to you, oh, we should cover this. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, what, what, what did you think? Yeah, I, was, I wasn't blown away by it. Mm. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's quite a powerful it packs a punch you know and it's it's really sad like, how it all plays out it's so, all so inevitable I mean you can kind of see it all snowballing in the, in the direction that it goes in but um, yeah I mean revelatory for me was Richard Pryor um, just astounding a bit like watching because I was watching um the squeeze the other day with Freddie Starr. Wow, <laughs> you're going to compare it prior to Freddie Starr? No, Star. I know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bad comparison, but it's like when someone does something so uh, out, of their, out of their... What you expect, yeah. Totally, and uh, yeah, this was great. And, I mean, up against Yafet Koto and Harvey Keitel, you know, he's in like pretty... Uh, pretty strong company company. company. (laughs) he's not in Fast Company the David Cronenberg film I don't think so anyway but no all three of them do 
really fantastic performances, but he more than holds his own. I think he kind of does emerge as the star of it. Yeah, I mean, probably because he is so unexpected. Um, you you kind of know after all these years what to get expect from Harvey Keitel, mm. not to belittle him. No, no. Yafut Koto, I think, is brilliant. And even though he is good in all the other stuff you see him in, you know, living and dying. No, I mean, his, his role here is nearest to the one in Alien, but there's yeah. so much more to it in this, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, he's, he's really fantastic. No, I. one of the things that knocked me out about this, it would be an odd comparison, but it's like when I first watched The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, and you, you know it's going to be a Western, but the, the plot went off in so many different directions and did it with such such an unusual style, because, mm. um, like I say, I thought this was going to be a really earnest social drama, but then it really got into sort of comedy. I mean, even though Pryor is making wisecracks and stuff through it, he's very charismatic with the humour, you always know throughout it, right underneath him, underpinning this, there's a very serious, desperate character who's just tearing his hair out. Can't believe what's going on with him. Um, I don't want to spoil too much of what really happens in the plot, because like I say, I was really, really knocked out by the surprises of it. But it kind of drifts into crime a little bit, but then gets out of that again and becomes more of a, a conspiracy thing almost as it goes on. Yeah. But just, I think brilliantly scripted you know in terms gonna, of the plotting but the dialogue as well how much of that was improvised I don't know but yeah I, would, I wouldn't because apparently Pryor was a nightmare on set he was like apparently, fighting yeah, a the, lot the three leads didn't get on at yeah. all <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't come across really I mean they seem really tight don't they they do yeah I mean they're, without giving too much away there's mm. a scene where they've kind of got to part ways for a while and not be in touch with each other and it's there's something so like I know blue collar is like the American version of working class. Mm. There's something about that. There's that like that camaraderie there, and it's it's having this sort of stiff upper lip almost, and you know, but they're barely containing these like emotions of like sadness and loss. Um, yeah, but like you say, the the plot and the script is just fantastic. It's so and fleshed out perfectly by these actors. Um, it really, really just grabbed me all the time, and yeah, I, I guess like you say, it's kind of g- not genre bending, but the way it moves between them um, without ever feeling like forced. At yeah, all, it's not like. pigeonholing holding itself, or as mm. you imagine most films are now. It's kind of it has to stick to this formula, and mm. it'll be what's it called, focus grouped or something, to make <laughs> yeah. sure that oh, when I see that guy doing that thing and we don't want to see him doing that, and oh, I thought this was going to be a romance, I don't want any of that element in it. <laughs> but yeah, we haven't really explained too much about the setup, but yeah, guys working on a production line, they've all got money troubles, but they all get a sense of the desperation of them as well. Reminded me weirdly of Joan Plowright in Brimstone and Treacle, she has that line about her nails scraping the top of the coffin lid or something, because she's okay. so, so trapped in the situation. Um... None of them are perfect by any means, are they? I mean, you could... If no, you, no. But that, that's great. It's not really moralising in that way. Um, yeah, their situation does get desperate enough that they decide they're going to try and pull off a crime. Uh, I'm not sure if that's giving too much away. There's a really great scene early on with Richard Pryor and his wife at home um, when they've got the three kids, pretty yeah. foul-mouthed kids, and the guy comes around from the um, IRS or whatever it is, isn't yeah. he? I mean, it's a really funny scene, but also just sums up that desperation. You, you yeah. can kind of really relate to that situation there, it. Yeah, because I'm, I mean, without, we're not really giving much away. He's basically claiming for six yeah. children, isn't he? And he's only got three. 
So he gets his wife to take them out to go around to the neighbours, disguise them and take some of these neighbours' kids. Yeah. But it's the fact that everyone's in on it and it's perfectly normal. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, we'll try that. We'll give it a go. It gives you some idea of, like, the the, the dire straits that people are in. in uh, I'm not really sure about, like, the financial situation mm. in America at that time, but, I mean, people are always struggling financially all over the world. Yeah, but... But um, you really get a feel for it here, you know, and... Hori Kaitel's daughter needs like medical care, doesn't she? Well, she, well, braces. she wants braces. It's not life threatening. <laughs> but again, you get that. You, you could sit there and say, "Oh, for God's sakes, you know, she doesn't really need that, does she?" You know. But you know, he's a proud father. You know, mm. and they all have a sense of a burden that they actually want. They want to be responsible. I did actually find it quite amusing that he's playing. Uh, I don't know if this is an offensive term, mm. but a polack Hori mm-hmm. Kaitel because. Yeah. He seems the least That's Polish th- American yeah. I've ever come across. <laughs> well, whilst we're on Harvey, um, he seems he doesn't seem too troubled to be hanging around in his wife fronts in a string vest <laughs> for some key moments here. Nah. <laughs> but that leads to this extraordinary scene when again, I don't think he's giving too much away. But they then go off. Uh, yeah, the two guys have families, but then Yafet Koto's something of a player, isn't he? He's an ex-con. <laughs> he's got this amazing pimp pad. It is fantastic with yeah, the orange, it's extraordinary. orange chairs. But there was a really, really great scene there after they've had all this sort of their sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And then there's a scene of them, the three of them, sitting around on this sofa. It's a really grey dawn through the window, and you're seeing the clock ticking by. And all of them pretty much getting their dreams off their chest mm. or frustrations. But since they're not talking to each other at all, they're just sort of articulating after this great party they've had just because it's framed brilliantly it's just like a static camera three of them on the sofa but never looking at each other it's it's almost like the conscience is speaking isn't it yeah or someone said that and it reminded them of something they're not really trying to solve each other's problems they're just sort of vocalising their frustration and stuff but then to go from a scene like that to the the robbery in it which is so lovely when they're talking about the Pink Panther movies and yes, stuff yeah. and it's such a world away from Tarantino when it's pop culture references these really just seem like schlubs who are <laughs> trying to struggle through doing probably not a very complex robbery at all is it they're not want, trying to be master criminals they want to make this good little hit and get a few thousand dollars yeah. easily without any problem the fact that <laughs> their disguise is a joke <laughs> shop specifically Yafet Koto with those eyes on springs yeah. on glasses and Harvey Keitel with an arrow through his head and there's a lovely joke after that because there is a security guy who's kind of they're identified in the papers as the Oreo guy yeah. <laughs> there's the two black, two black guys and a white guy in the middle of it <laughs> but no so many scenes like that I mean this is it it's just swinging between comedy and drama all the time and I loved it and I just you don't I really don't think you get films like this anymore I really no. don't think they get financed you've got blockbusters or American independent stuff which is you know it's usually about middle class people navel glazing as far as I can <laughs> tell you know yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting with Schrader. He's, he's quite varied in his filmography of what he's done. But I remember you and I going to watch... Um, Light of Day. Light of Day, which... Which is after Mishima. I think that was what he followed it up with. This thing that looks like a TV movie with Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett, which is really just like a TV drama. Mm. It didn't do anything unexpected with its setup, and it looked quite poorly... All right, it was being projected in a pub when we watched it, but <laughs> it didn't look... Like, this is brilliantly directed, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, this it's is It's unfussy, but it actually does have... You can tell there's a vision behind it as well, you know. Definitely. Great shots when... Because, yeah, it does go into more of a conspiracy feel at the end when, you know, there are certain forces out <laughs> to get these guys. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, great shots with cars driving off and us not following them and, you know, just 
real sense of menace in it. Brilliantly done. And also, I mean, it's really interesting scenes in the in the factory <laughs> where um, you get a real sense of like the people who they're working with as well. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I really love the guy who who can't work the vending machine. Oh He's yeah, there's this real the gut bucket, isn't there? That was such yeah. great casting because he didn't have to do much. But it's the fact he's in these white overalls, which are just bulging with his gut. <laughs> he's a Michelin man. <laughs> God, but yeah, again, there's a scene with him when he drives a forklift truck into this vending machine, which is kind of funny, but also real desperation to it as well. You can tell the situation these guys are in from this that they're driven to those kind of extremes. Mm. But yeah, on the subject of the factory, just think every, like, the three leads really brilliant but everyone in this are really good casting there's the second tier characters like the union bosses yeah um foreman yeah and then there's the kind of co-workers as well even if some of them never speak but you're seeing them from scene to scene they've got great faces i really love that older uh, there's the older black guy with the kind of frizzy hair who looks really harmless but gets really upset when they <laughs> sort of suggested never he, he talks the talk but wouldn't all the walk because of his 18 years yeah yeah, yeah. and just God, yeah, I really love this. I'm gonna. Uh, it does seem to have. I mean, had you heard of this other than it being? Um, yeah, I only knew it through uh, Noe Schrader's stuff, really. Yeah, I think because I think this is really slipped off the radar. And yeah, I go as far. I'm, I can't. I mean, I did read the Biskin book, you know, um, mm. Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, a while back. I think this did get coverage, but I, I'd go as far as say, for me, this is like the quintessential seventies movie. When you think of what Hollywood cinema did in the seventies, this yeah. kind of has all of those bases, you know. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, and Biskin definitely he bigged it up quite yeah. a lot because I think it. I think most people said it's like a magnificent debut. Mm. Um, but I know Schrader co-wrote it though with his brother, didn't he? Yeah. Who, I think he co-wrote the Yakuza Mitchum, yes, oh, yeah, 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 Yakuza with uh, Mitchum. Yeah, was it? Yeah. yeah. So, because um, they've got like fascinating history, like is it Mormon heritage? Yeah, I think he didn't see a film till he was about thirteen or something, even later like that. than that, possibly. Because yeah. um, it was he, he was like really in with Pauline Kael, wasn't he? I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, kind of well documented <clears throat> his drugs uh, problems and stuff. I didn't realise that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds like Taxi Driver was pretty. <laughs> well, I say autobiographical. I don't think he had a kill crazy frenzy. <laughs> Sorry, that's a spoiler for anyone who's not watched Taxi Driver. But no, that dislocation and oh. you know, totally alienated feel. And yeah, I was going to say that because I, I do really love Taxi Driver. But I was. This is why I kind of probably thought this was going to be quite a single-minded film. Mm. As great as Taxi Driver is. And I suppose for it to work at all, you have to be completely in that character's headspace for the whole film. The fact that this is all over the place, and I keep saying swings between genres a bit, but not in a deliberate way, it's just this is what real life is for people. Sometimes mm. that everyone's got anecdotes about things that happen to them. And I love the ambiguity of the ending. I mean, I don't want to discuss what happens, but by the end it does feel like it's not told you this is this has happened and it's right or wrong it's kind of this has happened yes you know? yeah I mean, if anything there's a slightly bum note with something they do at the end because the end's a fantastic freeze frame but then they throw a little yeah. bit which I thought over over exit a bit yeah well you know <clears> I suppose they, they're having their cake and eating yeah. <laughs> <laughs> over egg in the cake <laughs> um, the soundtrack's Jack Nietzsche Mm. Um, it's quite minimal. I mean, there's a there's a bluesy kind of song. It sounds a lot like Manish Boy. It's going through it, performed by Captain Beefheart, <laughs> um, which is great and really has that industrial feel when they're going through the the car production line. But most of the rest of it, um, again, I was really struck because sometimes you're not sure if it's music or source sound. 
there's specifically a bit with kind of a car chase. Yes, yeah. But you're not sure if some of that's just like the hard shoulder or it's the sounds of it's how intense the sounds you'd be picking up if you're yeah. in that situation. But it's definitely rhythmic and I thought that as well, as it was a bit sort of like carpenterish. Like mm. if you like really stripped it down even more yeah. and just like loop elements out of it. Yeah, I like that. I mean the sort of like vocal managed boy type stuff yeah. I wasn't overly fussed with, but I can see how it worked. But yeah, I mean, like the, it was quite interesting with the sound in the factory and stuff as well. I thought it was maybe playing on that, you know, the whole industrial. I got industrial the nine inch nails thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really glad I've watched it. It's um, it's definitely something I'll be watching again. Um, we've mentioned Light of Day. It seems to be. I'm, I'm not. I think after that he did uh, Patty Hearst, which I've not seen. But there's, looking at his filmography, it looks like it kind of drifted off a bit. Light sleeper as well. <sighs> which even though Mar- yeah that was, was 91, 92 because I went to see that the pictures and dozed off in it I tried watching it again a few weeks back and wasn't too impressed despite what Mark Cousins said about it being his masterpiece yeah I'm looking forward to watching it yeah no I'd be interested to know what you make of that I mean autofocus the thing he did about the guy from Hogan's Heroes oh with Greg with, Kinnear and uh, Willem Dafoe yeah. that's good but it's just nowhere near as it seems worlds away from this you know yeah he had his he had his uh when was Mishima? 84, was it? I think 85. 85. Yeah, well, you know, so that was, that was the cut-off point, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it all culminated in that... Uh, An act of cinematic Harry Carey. <laughs> Smokey, have you got any side effects? What, from the party? Yeah. I just had a headache. No, I mean like a, like a patch rot. You're crazy, man. All those pushes were clean. That's what I figured. Give me five. Got me another case of the psychosomatic crabs. You fucked up, Jerry. You should have stuck to Mary Thumb and her four daughters. On the subject of Harvey Keitel, even Oof. though we <laughs> was it, he has done all these great performances, but he's um, sometimes not so fussy, is he? <laughs> no. Worst, worst Harvey you can think of? Well, I don't think it's his worst, but I think I quite like Adam Sandler films. I'm guilty of that. It's, some of his earlier ones but he's in Little Nicky as the devil and he's wearing terrible lycra pants and falling to pieces and he's kind of he's so out of place in that film it doesn't really make much sense and I think he seems quite uncomfortable throughout it as well <laughs> unsurprisingly gosh um, there's a movie from slightly earlier than that which I've not watched but I'm always vaguely tempted by if it ever turned up on TV in the afternoon I think I probably would watch um, Monkey Trouble I think it's basically he's an evil organ grinder. Or no, is he? A, I think he's there's, there's something going on with a chimp in it. Is that euphemism? No, no, <laughs> it's monkey trouble. God, I think if it was a medical condition, it's, I've got monkey trouble. Um, but no, we were just having a chat actually. Uh, Saturn Three, you've not seen? I haven't. No, no. I think mean, it's, it's worth. It is such an odd film. It's kind of. It's a mess, but it's worth looking at. Is that but Harvey 70s? Keitel, um, pretty much, uh, maybe nineteen eighty. Right. Yeah, it was okay. um, oddly written by Martin Amis. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, but he's a big sci-fi fan, though Amis, isn't he? I don't know if he is. I know Kingsley Amis, his dad was. He was like very defensive of it. As oh, a, maybe I'm getting. Com- yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's that, yeah. Um, but no, Harvey Keitel in that is dubbed throughout <gasps> by Roy Detrice, um, mm. who is um, the. I think he's related to Michelle Detrice from Some Mothers Do Have Him. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, they said his Brooklyn accent just really didn't fit in with this sort of <laughs> gr- 
grim science fiction thing they had with robot decapitating people and Kirk Douglas. Monkey Trouble sounds good though. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold this out. It could be a good double bill with David O. Russell spanking the monkey. I was gonna get Dunstan checks in as well. Oh I fucking love Dunstan checks in. Isn't that just an orangutan being cruel to a homosexual for no reason? <laughs> I see because I did watch because I've got what? a bit of a fascination with orangutans. Yeah. They are just hilarious to me. They're amazing. Yeah. But isn't there throughout it? There's a camp character at the hotel. The hotel I don't think yeah. he's evil or anything. I think he's just a bit prissy. But I think the um, doesn't isn't the end shot Dunstan throwing a coconut at him from a tree <laughs> as he, if he deserves it. He does deserve with his it. with his toiletries. He's, he's not an orangutan, is he? Or a child. It's common knowledge orangutans are like children or other orangutans. <laughs> Dunstan checks in is my favourite orangutan performance. More Easily. so than more so way. Than, yeah, Cl- I like Clyde, but I don't know, there's something more uh, antagonistic, antagonistic about it. <laughs> but anyway, it reminds me, just as you say that, yeah. have you ever heard, I'm sure you won't, um, there's a movie with, um, I think, Danny DeVito. I've not seen this, but I'm quite... Not wise, guys. No, <laughs> it's Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito, Tony Danza from Who's the Boss and used to be in Taxi, the sitcom. Oh, right. Um, called Going Ape. <laughs> There's no G on the end. It's going with an, uh, a oh, contractive yeah. apostrophe. Um, but I remember flicking through Leonard Maltin's film book and just seeing that because the title stands out with the p- apostrophe. And the, the <laughs> setup was, um, I think Danza's, a relative of Danza's dies and he stands to inherit money, but he has to live with a house full of monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> I I've only just remembered it again because I was used to read about this and it sounded I think that it was a Leonard, you know Leonard Maltin has the star rating yeah that's a bomb for this <laughs> I'm gonna try and track that down Banana. I've only just remembered it after all these years yeah this sounds like something I must see <laughs> get ready for a Simeon special at some point in fact it Speaking starts now Simeon it specials. starts now I study insects really do insects interest you yeah, a lot. I love them. You mean that? Absolutely. In Switzerland, there's a killer on the loose, leaving wheelchair-bound entomologist Donald Pleasance and his chimp helper thoroughly stumped. Thank goodness, then, for new girls' school student Jennifer Conley with her burgeoning abilities to communicate with the insect world. Even hardcore fans were wondering if Dario Argento had gone off the rails for 1985's Phenomena. So the people spoke. <laughs> they have spake. We, we had to listen. You're um, rubbing your head. <laughs> you really look despairing now. Because I watched Phenomena um, myself for the first time, I don't know, a few months ago. Maybe about six months ago, five months ago. And I didn't really like it at all. I was going through all of Argento's back catalogue. I'd just read... Um, What's his face? Alan Jones. Alan Jones's Profundo. Profundo Ross. Uh, yeah, uh, Argento. And uh, that's Jonathan Ross one you were going to do. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I watched Tenebrae and I absolutely fell in love with that. It's just very um, lukewarm with, but Profundo Ross, uh, Bird of the Crystal Plumage. You look so uh, defeated. I was just like, what the hell is going on here? Like, <laughs> I could see all the. Uh, it was like someone falling from a very great height but I'm kind of glad that we've had to watch it again (laughs) (laughs) because it's forced me to like not reappraise it completely because my feelings are still pretty much kind of the same but I enjoyed it a lot more I got a lot more out of it um, comedy wise (laughs) intentional comedy no it is is unintentionally hilarious the whole thing is 
absolutely ludicrous from start to finish. Would you agree with Donald Pleasance then, who apparently agreed to do this when he read the script because he said it was the daftest thing yeah. he's ever read? <laughs> Definitely, yeah, because he replaced Eustonoff, didn't he? Yeah, it was written for Eustonoff. Um, there's the phrase, two wrongs don't make a right. And this doesn't disprove it, but it does suggest that if you get it wrong enough... <laughs> It might come back round again the other <laughs> way and kind of just be incredibly fun. I really enjoyed this. However, it not, it not in a sort of it's so bad it's good way, but it was like very badly made. Mm. I mean, I've got to say, I'm not really a huge Argento man. I, I've, I've tried Suspiria a few times mm. and never really quite seen what the fuss is. I just, I will watch it again, but you know, it, yeah. it just seems noisy and incomprehensible. <laughs> I think that's probably. I don't. I, I think that's kind of the point of it, isn't it? It's more about it's like set pieces and <laughs> what the Steve Wynn would It's like about. a roundabout. Yeah. It's, um, no, the point of that was it is great big set pieces when yeah. it's really just overwhelming you with noise and lights and things, isn't it? I don't mm. think it's meant to build up a chilling kind of it's, tale. It, it's or, just pure atmosphere, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, but yeah I've not, I did actually watch this a long, long time ago, and I think it may even be the first Argento I ever saw, although it wasn't this, it Creepers. was Creepers, I'm pretty sure, because I, re- I don't remember having anything like as much gore. I think Creepers has, like, most of the murders trimmed down. Yeah, there's a good 20 minutes. Cause yeah, because I, 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 I think in... Um, uh, the deep red Chaz Ballon's deep red handbook, like the the lament the, uh, the 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 video that they're reviewing in there because yeah, all the all the good stuff taken out. They, but, but we watched the European version, which is which took me ages to get the subtitles and things to work properly on. Oh it. really? <laughs> yeah, you're watching. Think oh oh, it's in Italian. It's defaulted to that. Then I have to go back into the menu and out again. I, it's, I get very confused <laughs> with these things when you get to my age, <laughs> kind of the DVD generation. But no, like I said, it was. Um, it struck me as what I think of most other Argento bad bad dialogue, bad dubbing, um, scenes which are there for no good reason. And it was kind of, it was never dull, I suppose, but it did sort of go on. And certainly by the time it got to an hour and a half, I was thinking, this really should have wrapped up by now. Yeah. But then the last 50 minutes are so insane. I was just delighted. It goes ancient. It really <laughs> does. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of. Uh, listeners will have seen this already. I'm not going to describe the ending particularly, but the fact that the uh, Inga the chimp is so prominent at the beginning, you're you're she's going to have to have some key role and later on. You're not too surprised when uh, she turns up. She makes a discovery in a, a bin, doesn't she? In a park, <laughs> a very lucky discovery. Was is it? Um, <laughs> Sorry, it's got a, a, if you've not seen that, that's a bit. Uh, or well, if you've seen the poster, ex- yeah, well. the oh, that's the, a the great poster. poster. It is a good poster. But yeah, the fact that he set up his film with a chimp, um, Donald Pleasance in a wheelchair, a girl who can talk to insects, um, you're just wondering what was going on in his head. And I don't know if he was trying to push things as far as possible, because there is a terrible making of documentary on the disc. I don't mm, know if you've seen I it. I haven't watched it. I mean, it's, it's not terrible in... I mean, it's very thorough. They've certainly got hold of as many people as possible and interviewed them, but none of the anecdotes in it are at all interesting. <laughs> it is just people saying, I was cast because this is what I do for a living but it takes them about four minutes to say I did some underwater photography on something else and, <laughs> uh, and whatever um, but no the, all of that stuff really really built up and I, I love the ending of this it's worth going through it almost to get to this insane finale I have to say the ending is like it's one of the best endings of any film I think that I've seen because it, it just 
it really cranks everything up like yeah. way beyond 11 like. yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's a shame some of that wasn't I mean there's some of that feel to the rest of it um, yeah with these animated insects and whatever I mean some of the the insects effects are quite good it's just you have to suspend your disbelief considerably <laughs> to buy this um, and to just buy I, Jennifer Connelly <laughs> Uh, yeah, I suppose she does okay. In She's it, my she? biggest stumbling block. Really? Because I, I really, really... if I don't like to say I hate um, actors or performers because, you know, they, they wouldn't be in these films if there wasn't some kind of um, draw for an audience. But I just... I really struggle. Or Jennifer, they were the daughter of the director. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, Gildenhall's and Jennifer Connelly, the... I just I really struggle to watch them in anything, and uh, I've never liked any of her performances. And mm. this is like one of the worst. I think I find it so <laughs> infuriating in it because she's wasn't like thinking anything about her really. Oh, I mean, she just delivers these lines. So I mean, they're pretty crap lines anyway. It, it, it's not great dialogue. But no. If you're a fourteen-year-old or whatever she was at the time, yeah. But I, yeah, she's just quite vacuous for me. Yeah, I think I think you'd probably uh, what's her face would have been better. Uh, Asia, Asia right. Argento. I think she would have been a better. I think Asia Argento in uh, Stendhal Syndrome would have played a better. Uh, uh, oh, she's called Jennifer, isn't she? In this yeah, they, I think they changed her name. Her character was called Martha, but she didn't have the name, so they <laughs> changed it. Um, and that, that might sound lazy, but I, I think the defence is the chimp, um, whose name was Tanga, I think, which I think might also be a brand of en- underwear wasn't very well behaved or was quite troubling and um, I think they thought it was better to call Jennifer Connelly's character Jennifer so there wasn't it didn't confuse the chimp anymore <laughs> agitate the chimp anymore than the was chimp's necessary ace, though. the chimp's really really good um, the, it does all they've done a good job of editing together the appropriate bits but it does you know obviously you can't expect a chimp to act much but it does given some of the things it's meant to do to show anguish or um, uh, repentance I suppose early on it's getting scolded by Donald Pleasance for Picking up a, a knife or a razor or something, isn't it? Yes, um, and then later on, but obviously, you know, chimps don't act. Its expression is just kind of a bit bored. Because <laughs> yeah, as long as its arms folded, yeah, as long as it as long as it stumbled from the right side of the set and not ripped anyone's face off, you know, it's, it's done an okay job. Pleasance is great um, with his Scottish accent. Yeah, which the first time I watched it, I thought it was an appalling accent. But like, I'm now watching it again, it's not too bad. It's a, it's a good sort I, of a Highlands yeah, accent. I, I think he's tying the whole thing together because it's full of not terribly good performances and bad dialogue. I mean, it's, it's great early on when Presence is introduced um, and he just delivers loads of exposition. I mean, it, it starts with um, the first victim of the killer in it, a young girl who's one of Argento's daughters. Yeah, that's right. Um, and yeah, well, I suppose it's what people like Argento for. It's a really stylish death, isn't it? It's mm. uh, really well done. But yeah, the, the presence's involvement or his character is because he can determine how long it's been since somebody died by the maggot activity. That's a fair setup. But when it gets to the point when he's he's a quite a bad scientist, um, <laughs> he manages to come to conclusion. He'll see something, <laughs> come up with a conclusion, and not bother testing it at all. He'll just assume that's how it must be. And there's a scene when um, Jennifer Connelly's around, loads of insects around in the laboratory go mad. And she says, oh, it must be me, you know, I have this thing with insects. And he's, he believes this immediately. He doesn't think there might be anything else going on in the environment causing it. And uh, he's ready to set her off with a fly 
Because they're the two greatest they're detectives, two greatest in, the greatest world. detectives <laughs> in the world. So again, you just, fly, isn't you're it? just thinking there must have been a point when someone on the set was thinking, "We're really filming a coach, a bus, isn't it, with a girl holding a, a fly in a glass box, and this is going <laughs> to sort of centerpiece of the film." Yeah, it's a good like seven or eight minutes longer. I mean, yeah, I found that really tedious. I mean, there's like loads. I think, like you said before, that you could get this down to a good eighty-five minute film and make it taut. And but you need to have been softened up for the insanity <laughs> at the end. Yeah, it would be like I suppose. Yeah, you got rid of good cop, bad cop, and got kind of incompetent cop and just ludicrous cop. <laughs> yeah, because that is quite odd actually with the um, the investigating uh, policeman who was in a view to a kill, wasn't he? He, he, he crops up occasionally. I know. Forgetting he just, about him. And then all of a sudden, he's quite important towards yes. the end. But it's just like, but yeah, I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to this film, really. <laughs> um, and he says it's one of his, his most personal as well, because in the God knows what his home life's in like. the chapter of um, Profondo, in Profondo Argento, yeah. he opens up with saying, "I've always been fascinated by insects. I used to tie wire around their little legs and watch them try to fly, uh, walk and fly away. I used to stick pins in them. I was like." My God, man! Didn't you do that? No, <laughs> he must oh, have been. On. He must have been influenced by uh, Ruggiero Diodato or uh, <laughs> Umberto Lenzi or something. Like that. But and yeah, he he was talking about how he um, discovered that insects were actually used in like forensic, um, the forensics for cases. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting where you can go with that, but he takes it to a a completely different level well the odd thing is because yeah there is a like I say the first time I watched this I remember the murders being cut down considerably I don't think it was anything like as gruesome in, in Creepers but yeah the whole feel of it is and I don't think it's just because of Connolly being in Labyrinth which I still haven't seen um, <laughs> but the girl who communicates with insects just has a real fairy tale element to it and I'm not mm. sure it, it's such a weird thing for having it pressed up against this stylized gore um I think there's something about it I found quite appealing. I did really enjoy it. I'm not sure I'll be in a rush to watch it again. Did you like the music? I was going to get on to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really like the music a lot. I All mean, of it? Um, I'm going to say yes. Um, <laughs> what I didn't realise, because I thought it was Goblin throughout, except for there's a few obvious um, uh, songs, which are like Iron Maiden and um, yeah. Motorhead. I thought it was Goblin throughout, but I didn't realize that main theme at the beginning um, was Bill Wyman of mm. all people and Terry Taylor. Um, I loved that music, and I've been listening to it loads on YouTube <laughs> in the last few days. It was especially good because I was watching the movie on headphones, and it's got that, it's got this kind of synth flute noise. It's yeah. really great, but then this really jagged guitar with echo on it, it sounds absolutely fantastic. <laughs> but then there's the, the, the Goblin stuff in this. Um, again, I'm, I'm guessing people know that kind of style. Um, but in this specifically, it uses um, sort of opera soprano uh, vocals. And I love that because to begin with, I was thinking, man, this is cliched, isn't it? Having this sort of warbling. But it just it sort of goes, not even to a scream, but just some wail. <laughs> I'm probably not going to do a good job of it now, but it goes, oh, oh. <laughs> it's, just like, it's not like anything horrible sound. It's more like the singer's been goosed or something. <laughs> it's, like, oh, it's like a real surprise. <laughs> and it always put a big smile on my face because it's used, that cue's used throughout the film. I yeah. really love that. Well, I do lo- the musical cues are just, they're so funny. They're so off kilter with what's going on. Are I mean, you, are you going to mention. Um, <laughs> what, when the after, maiden one kicks in? It's after, there's um, a 
when the emergency services have turned up to cart away someone after they've been murdered, yeah, there's this Iron Maiden song playing. <laughs> you can tell it's Bruce Dickens' vocals and these absurd lyrics. But you, you're not really sure what's going on because I thought maybe this is just what happens in Switzerland. The emergency <laughs> services turn up and just crank up their stereos really loudly or <laughs> carting a body away. But that would have been totally in keeping with the film. Yeah, but th- that is something that I, I do kind of admire about Argento, um, particularly in films like, well, Suspiria, uh, Deep Red, Tenebrae and stuff, is that the music is so overpowering yeah. that it kind of, it it should overshadow the images. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem with Phenomena, it kind of does in quite a lot of scenes. Like it, it, it doesn't match, um, like... Um, um, certain scenes from those from those other films, it just felt like a bit too. Uh, I was focusing on the music sometimes and not really taking because it is the camera just roves and then it's editing, editing. You don't think he's actually that, that great a director then in the in that kind of not really framing the shots and yeah, telling well, the story visually. You know. It's funny because but you watch films like uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage or mm. well even Tenebrae which is by far my favourite you know they're really well composed and you know you've got the uh, the famous tracking shot over the house and mm. done superbly I, I don't know what it, it was like the beginning of the end I think for him with Phenomena although saying that um, uh, opera's <laughs> great opera's really good sorry the beginning of the end with Phenomena because <laughs> yeah um, have you watched any of these What the, when is opera meant to be the cut off I think it popular is popular yeah. kind of opinion yes yeah. Um, have you seen any of the ones after that because uh, I know it, it, sleepless, yeah, which got brilliant head trauma. Someone getting right. their head really bashed into a wall. Uh, I've got to think about that. <laughs> Apparently, you have. Yes, <laughs> and um, the card player I've tried tried to watch a few times, but it's nearly unwatchable for me. Um, and there's another one in the Neo Giallo box set, which I can't remember now. Have you seen okay. Mother of Tears? I haven't. No, no, that's meant to be. So bad. I'm. I am going to watch Suspiria. Glass money, isn't it? <laughs> I'm. Um, I am going to watch Suspiria again, but I'm actually do that trilogy. Yeah. I, I, I'm. I'm fascinated. Well, thank you to the listeners for voting for that. I've. I've, yeah. I've really enjoyed it, and I think it's probably <laughs> probably the best one we could. It, it sounds to be like quite a good lunatic piece to have, uh, yeah. to have reviewed. Um, and yeah, I think our reviews probably is uh, as ramshackle as the film itself. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> You're just talking about key moments. <laughs> That's what you've got to do with uh, Argento films. It's all about key moments. And the chimp. <laughs> and covering a dwarf in honey. <laughs> and setting the flies on him. I am not crazy, schizophrenic, epileptic, or stoned. So that's the end of show 31. Thanks for listening. As always, thanks for listening. Um, if you want to get in touch with us about anything at all, but especially um, your Cronenberg vote, remember, no fly, no, no flies on us, drum. no video drum. Um But yeah, get in touch with us either through our Facebook page, just give us a little look, Twitter, which is at Midnight Video. That's the one. And um, what's our Hotmail address? I should uh, know this after that. Midnightvideo.hotmail.co.uk. Yes. And check out our website, which is midnight-video.com. I'll where you're going to be putting some stills up um, and yes I'll promise to post up that Chronopolis thing actually that reminds me did you see that Robert Palmer thing I posted up on yes that? I did it's amazing 
<laughs> uh, oh man, that was that that sort of got some feedback. Yes, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people quite liked it. By Robert Palmer's sexy his moves penguin. are very similar to like John Glover. Well, yeah, he Damme put that up King as well. Boxer, yeah. But man, yeah, that's worth checking out. We that's should review that video actually. <laughs> clues yeah. from uh, we are new things. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us again. Then I'll, we'll see you in a few weeks' time for show thirty-two. Okie dokie. Goodbye. Look at that face, look at that big nose, you know. Uh, uh, he deserves to be burnt, hung, beaten.